0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to week two of a series called Attitude Adjustment. We're working our way through this year, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is really Jesus' way of saying, this is what life looks like if you're going to be my follower. This is how you think. This is what you say. This is how you act. And the goal of the Christian life is to become like Jesus here on earth, to value the things that Jesus valued, to focus on the things that Jesus focused on. It's really all about Jesus. And so we're looking at five critical areas that Jesus addressed that we may need an attitude adjustment on. So last week, I talked about the power of no. Now, when you say no to yourself, if you're like most people, you go, I have to say no. But when Jesus talked about saying no, he actually meant it in a positive way as an opportunity for saying a bigger yes. So sometimes we just need an attitude adjustment in some key areas of our life. This morning, I want to talk to you about your attitude, my attitude toward money. Now, how many of you just went... Really? It's Father's Day? In the next 30 minutes, we're going to talk about money? I know, right? But we're working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, and today's about money. Several months ago, kids were clearing out Dad's home. Dad lived in Los Angeles. And while they were clearing out Dad's house, way back in a crawl space, they found... One million pennies. It took them all day long to carry out those pennies. Their shoulders were hurting. They had imprints in their hands. They just were like, what's up with that? They decided that they were going to go to Coinstar to turn in the pennies and realized that there was an 8% transaction fee. And so they're like, we're not going to Coinstar. So they decided to go to their local bank. Their local bank wouldn't take the coins because they said, we don't have enough room in our vault for them. Do something else. A financial investment advisor said, you know, you could go through those coins because chances are There's going to be some valuable coins. You may find some coins that are worth millions of dollars. But several months have gone by, and there was just an article on it two weeks ago. This family has decided that they're going to sell all of the million dollar, a million pennies, and they're going to try to sell it for $25,000. But the biggest question that the family is wrestling with is, what's up with dad? What was dad thinking in saving a million pennies? The only thing they can come up with is this. Dad was a World War II war baby in Germany who emigrated to the United States. And there must have been something about his thought process because He was really into precious metals, and the only thing the family can come up up with is is that dad was thinking that copper, should there be in a national emergency, would skyrocket through the roof, and he'd be able to pull out all of his pennies, because up until the 1960s, all pennies were copper. Now they're mostly zinc. Did you know that? And that's the only thing that they can come up with. What is your attitude toward money and possessions? You know, sociologists say that there's five basic fundamental attitudes that we all wrestle with. Here they are. The first is money is seen as power and prestige. You know, the more money you have, the more power you have or prestige or money as a source of anxiety There are a lot of people that are anxious about money, not having enough, or if you have a lot of money, you have a lot of anxiety. I have a good friend who years ago, his business took off. He was a a home improvements guy and he started off with one truck and then his business grew and then he had several trucks and there would be times that he would have $50,000, $60,000 sitting in his house. And he started carrying guns and he started trusting, uh, distrusting all of his employees. And he said, I used to think that I was a worrier until I got money. And now I really know what worry is. It's a source of anxiety for him. Money is a source of distrust. Uh, Distrusting people who have more than you, how did they get their money? Distrusting people who want to be close to you, if you have money, why are they my friends? Distrusting people talking about money. (laughs) Distrusting people who ask for money. (laughs) And then the last attitude is using money as a tool to plan and to save. So, how did you grow up? What's currently your perspective and attitude on money? More importantly, what's Jesus' perspective on money. See, here's what I think. I think that we have this mindset when it comes to Jesus that we think, oh, Jesus thought this way about money. It may surprise you to know that Jesus thought several different ways about money. So for example, Jesus had several wealthy friends who supported his ministry and he never criticized any of them. Listen to this. Jesus never criticized anybody for being wealthy. What Jesus criticized was people's attitude toward wealth, but actually not their wealth itself. Did you know that the apostle John, John the Beloved, did you know that John had two homes? One in the suburbs in the Galilee area and one in the city, a penthouse in Jerusalem. What's up with that? He's got a house in Philadelphia. He's got a house at the shore. You know what I'm saying? Jesus was not homeless, like many people have been taught. The Gospels clearly say that the focus, the focal point of Jesus' ministry, his home base, was Capernaum, and in Capernaum, Jesus rented, or either, it was either rented or was given a house that was his house to stay in. Did you know that? And it was at his house that those four men carried their paralytic friend and broke open the roof and dropped down their friend. It was Jesus' house. Man, what are you guys doing? I'm going to have to repair that. Did you know that Jesus and the disciples lived on a budget? and they even had a treasure. It didn't work out well for the treasure, but that does nullify the point that Jesus and his disciples had a treasure in which they paid their bills and they bought food. It seems that Jesus really didn't care that much if people had money or didn't have money. What really mattered to Jesus was their attitude toward money. And so for the next few moments, I want to talk about what Jesus' attitude toward money was, what your attitude, what my attitude toward money should be if we're going to be a disciple of Jesus, and then how to handle the money wisely that we are to be called, uh, that we are to steward over. So let's go ahead and begin. Would you stand please? Let's turn in your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. I'll be reading out of the New Living Translation. The topic simply says in the Gospel, teaching about money and possessions. Jesus says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal store your treasure in heaven where moths and, and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the and if. The light that you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one, no one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Holy Spirit, these next few moments, would you speak to us About what it means to live in your kingdom in the middle of living in this kingdom of the world and handle money wisely. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. So, what was Jesus' attitude toward money and possessions? He had three basic attitudes. The first is money is a river, not a reservoir. Verses 19 and 20, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths can eat and rust destroys them. Our home backs up to a park. Our backyard backs up to a park, and in that park is a walking path and a pond, a reservoir. It's an overflow. And so usually around July or mid-August, because there's a lack of rain, usually that little pond area begins to get this green stuff all over it. And I'm told it's because of all of the fertilizer of the homes around it. When there's runoff, it just kind of over fertilizes the whole pond area. And then it kind of looks a little gross. I find myself walking over, taking a couple of stones, just kind of just to see if I can spread out the green stuff. You know what I mean? It is that way because it doesn't have an outlet. Jesus says that the way that we are to handle money is to treat it as a river, not a pond, not a reservoir with no outlet. In other words, the only value of money is to literally move it. To help other things grow and to nourish them. Or to say it in a more earthy type way, it's a Thornton Wilder, Wilder that said, Money's like manure, it's not worth a thing and lets it spread around, encouraging young things to grow. So the question we're supposed to ask ourselves is do we have an attitude where money is a river, not a reservoir? Now, this not to say that you can't have a savings account for emergencies. Most financial planners think that um, you ought to have six months of income in an emergency fund in case you lose your job or in case you get super sick. So let's just say you make $100,000 a year. It's probably a good idea to have $50,000 stuck away in an account someplace that if you ran into trouble, had a big emergency, you'd have that money to draw on. Now I don't have that kind of money sitting in a savings account, so that means I probably need to work a little bit harder in creating a savings and emergency account. It also doesn't mean you shouldn't have life insurance. Through the years, I've run into Christians that have said, well, if I'm really trusting God, then I don't need life insurance. Well, you may be trusting God. However, if you die, your family's gonna need income. And so you probably ought to sit down with a financial planner and figure out how much life insurance is appropriate for you to carry in case you were to pass away unexpectedly and your family would need to have a source of income. It also doesn't mean saving for retirement. Saving for retirement is a wonderful thing because you don't want to be reliant on other people or even reliant on the government to be able to finance your retirement. God wants us to prudently put away funds so that when we get to retirement age, we're actually able to continue to be somewhat self-sufficient. Now, there are all kinds of people that say, well, if you save 10% of your income over the course of your lifetime, you'll be fine in retirement. I'm not a financial expert. You're going to have to go talk to your financial expert about that. That's just a number I've heard. I've also heard 17.5% over any 20-year working period of time in your life, and you'll do fine in retirement. I don't know if that's true. I just had a financial planner say that to me one time. But whatever it is, we're to save for the future so that we don't become an undue burden on our family. It also does not mean you can't enjoy nice things. Jesus is not anti nice things. Jesus himself enjoyed nice things. What Jesus is trying to say to us with regard to being a river, not a reservoir, is simply this. You're to move your money around and not hoard it. It's the opposite of Luke chapter 12. Remember that guy who built bigger barns and he just, his business is doing good and he's just building bigger barns and what, do you, what is he doing? He's hoarding instead of looking around saying, how can I help other people? Attitude number two, what you spend money on reflects what you love and value the most. Verse 21, wherever your treasure is, there desires of your heart will be also. Money is a mirror that reflects your values now for those of you who are business people you'll know that in your business you'll have stated values versus actual values this goes on in business all the time your stated values in your corporation the company that you work for is what you put up on your wall when other customers see it you know we value integrity we value people you know we value good customer service all that is great they're your stated values The challenge always comes when your stated values and your actual values are actually different. You may state that your values are one thing, but in reality, your values actually may be something else. The best way to find out what your real values is, is to do an audit, a monthly audit, just just even do it once right? Just a whole month, just track where all your money's being spent. And that reflects accurately what your value system is. Attitude number three, Jesus saw money as a rival God that must be constantly monitored and dethroned. Listen to these powerful words again. You, no one, can serve two masters. For you will hate the one, love the other. You will be devoted to one, despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now here's what's interesting. If you were to look over this whole passage of scripture and read it again, just like I did right in the beginning of the message, if you were to read it over again, you would discover something. Jesus is making a contrast comparison opposite approach. So for example, he's saying that there's heaven and earth, there's light and darkness, there's hate and And love. There's God, and you would think it would be Satan, wouldn't it? But he doesn't say it. God and money. In doing that, Jesus is setting up money as a rival God. Money is not neutral, money has a way of creeping inside of us and attaching itself to us before we even really know it. And we need to have our eyes open to the idea that, oh, wait a minute, I think I'm putting too much value on money again. And then you have to dethrone it and push it away in order to keep it in its proper place. Now, Jesus' point in all three of these attitudes, Jesus' point is money must be constantly dethroned and put back in its proper place not just once, but continually. Now here's the question. Do you and I, do, you, do we have the same exact attitude that Jesus had toward money and possessions do we see money as a river not a reservoir you know do we see money as actually stating what we value versus what we actually value and then do we see money as a rival god that constantly has to be dethroned so with that in mind that's the first half of the message see i'm almost halfway done the second half of the message is how do you manage money well how do you steward the resources that God has given you well? That's what the next few moments are about. So let's begin. Number one, put God first and trust in his goodness. Mark 12 30 says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. A few weeks ago, I brought up the acrostic first, F-I-R-S-T. How many of you remember that? Putting God first in your finances, your interests, your relationship, your schedules, and putting God first in your troubles. The Christian life is not complicated. It is hard, but it's not complicated. If you will put God first in your life, you're not really going to have to worry that much about your finances being a rival God to you. And Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit, who is our advocate, our counselor, our lawyer, if you will. And as our advocate and counselor, the Holy Spirit is the best financial counselor you can possibly have. Because the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to teach us the things that Jesus said, to remind us of the things of Jesus. And Jesus is going to remind us of these three attitudes and perspectives about money. Now, look at Hebrews 13.5 for a moment. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, nor will I forsake you. Why would the author of Hebrews put money along with an Old Testament promise of God never leaving us nor forsaking us? Here's the answer. Because all money management is emotion management. If you can manage your emotions, you can manage your money. If you can't manage your emotions, you're always going to struggle managing your money. What is the biggest issue that people face with regard to money management? Fear and anxiety. Will I have enough? Will it last through all retirement? Will I have enough to pay my bills? Can I get the kids, can I pay for college? Can I get the kids through school? Will I have enough money to pay my medical bills? And the writer of Hebrews gets this and he says, "Listen, don't worry about money because God has promised he will never leave you nor forsake you. In other words, you do the best that you can do in your money management and God literally will take care of the rest. God is not honoring of irresponsibility, but if you don't have very many resources, but you're stewarding those resources the best that you can, God promises that he's going to take care of you. All money management is emotion management. Have you ever bought something and thought, why did I do that? I think there's tired spending when you've had a week and you just can't think about preparing dinner. So you decide to go through the drive-thru there's nothing wrong with the drive-thru, but if you'll, if that's out of your budget, then going through the drive-thru could be a problem. I once knew of a person and it was a single mom and had a flat tire and got late to work. And was late picking up the kids from the daycare. And she was so bone tired that she decided to go through the drive-thru and buy the kids a Happy Meals. And didn't realize she had made a mistake in her checking account and got an overdraft. And before she recognized the overdraft, she had gotten four or five overdrafts. And that those Happy Meals cost her like $150. But, it, but where did it come from? It came from tired spending. There's also fearful spending. Remember during the pandemic? What if they run out of toilet paper at Costco? People are hoarding toilet paper. I saw neighbors walking across the street. Do you need toilet paper? Because I have some. There's also lonely spending. I've known people that were so lonely that they would go out to eat five and six times a week just to be around other people. There's anger spending. This happens in marriages a lot. Anger spending is passive-aggressive spending where you're so ticked off at your spouse that they're so controlling with money, you're just going to take the credit card and go. And you're going to spend whatever you're going to spend, and you'll deal with the argument when the credit card comes due in two or three weeks. And then there's insecure spending. Buying this will make me feel better about myself. In these emotional moments, we tend to buy things we wouldn't ordinarily buy if we were in a better place emotionally. All money management is emotion management. If you can manage your emotions well, you'll never have a problem managing your money well. Number two, develop healthy financial habits. Proverbs twenty-one twenty says, the wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. So what are some financially healthy habits? I'm just gonna like quickly go down through a list because some of you are like, oh, I do that, I do that, I do that, I do that. Ooh, I never thought about this one. So let me just run down through this list. What are financially healthy habits? Godly. Financial healthy habits. Develop a budget. A good budget is not constricting, it's freeing. It's not a downer. A budget is a source of joy and peace. Because a budget is a time-tested way to keep your finances in alignment with your values. Two, never impulse buy. As a rule, if you see something you want, sit on it for a little while. And the rule is this. The bigger it is, the longer you sit on it. Come on, guys. This is Father's Day. We can be real. How many times have you gone to a car dealership and bought a car and you didn't even tell your wife? You only do that one time. That's it. You never, ever do that again. You know what I'm saying? Now, interestingly, most people think that women spend more money in the home than men, but the reality is that's not true. Men actually spend more money than women because of the larger purchases that they make. Never impulse buy. Three, learn to enjoy things without owning them. Learn to enjoy things without owning them. Am I the only one that if I enjoy something, I automatically go to? I need to buy that. You don't need to buy everything you enjoy. Buy used when appropriate. You know, I buy lots of books, but I never buy a new book. Hardly ever. I shouldn't say never. Maybe once a year, I'll buy a new book, and it's only because it's not on the used book on Amazon list. Why would we spend $25 on a book when you can get it for $1.95? And it's acceptable. You know what I'm saying? Um, I've never bought a new car. I'm not against buying new cars. If you buy new cars, you go ahead and buy new cars. I'm just thinking from my standpoint, I look at it and think as soon as you drive a new car off the parking lot, it depreciates 10%. That's just a well-known rule. As soon as you drive it off the parking lot, it has two miles on it rather than the one it's already depreciated 10%. Why wouldn't it be, would it be great to have a certified used car that has already got a lot of its depreciation out and drive a car that uh, you know started with 10,000 miles on it or 15,000 miles on it, you know? Um, cultivate a greater appreciation for simple pleasures. Somehow we think that pleasurable activities has to mean an expenditure of money, but it doesn't. You know the happiest couples, they did this. I can't quote the, um, the article, but I read an article probably about six months ago or so talking about the, the happiest married people. The happiest married people, you ready for this? Do nothing together. Let that sink in. The happiest married people do nothing together. They go shopping together. They run errands together. They go for walks together. They sit down and have just a regular meal together. See, we think, oh, I want to do something special, so we'll go out to dinner. Nothing wrong with going out to dinner, but if it doesn't fit in your budget, learn to cultivate just the simple pleasures of life, going for walks. Happiest married people go for walks together all the time. Doing nothing together. Now, some of you are like, yes, this is a good plan. And get an accountability coach to help you stay on track financially. Your accountability coach could be your mom, could be your dad, could be your spouse, could be a friend, just somebody who you can talk to about your finances and kind of run things by them. Hey, what do you think? Should I buy that grill or not? Holly says no. <laughs> That's my accountability coach. Become debt-free. I really feel strongly about this. I I think that Christians should really be debt-free, which when I'm referring to debt-free, I'm talking about consumer credit. I'm talking about your credit cards. Pay off your credit cards. Use your credit cards to get your points so you can get cash back, but pay off your credit cards every month. It's okay to have debt on your house because it's an appreciating asset. It's probably okay if you can't afford to go buy a car, you know, just outright and pay cash. It's okay to have a car payment just as long as a car payment is less than the actual value of the car itself because if you get in trouble and if, you know, like the sky fell or something and you had to sell your car, you'd at least be able to want to get out of it. You know what I'm saying? Here's one. Share. You don't have to own every tool, men. I know it's hard. I have that drive inside of me. I wanna, uh, if I need to get a tool for something, I'm like, I'm going to Lowe's. I'm going to Home Depot. I'll need that at least once in the next 30 years. <laughs> at least once. On the other hand, wouldn't it be great if we learned to share? Like a power washer. How often do you use a power washer? Once, twice, three times a year? I have a power washer. You can borrow mine. You don't have to go out and buy one. You know what I'm saying? Here's the last one. Get in the habit of accessing godly resources. This is like a continuing education thing. You always have to get better at managing your finances. And one of the ways that you do that is by just accessing different resources. Godly resources. So for example, if you go to our website right now, Lansdow.church, you can go to our website, go all the way down to the bottom of our website, and you can sign up for a sign up for a resource called Right Now Media. Right Now Media has gives access to thousands and thousands of Bible studies and videos on all different topics. So if you're not signed up for Right Now Media right now, you just go ahead and do that while I'm talking. I'm gonna wrap up the message in just a few minutes. Just go down, sign up for Right Now Media, and and type in Crown Financial Ministry. And here's what you'll discover: there's a whole video series like 10, 11 minutes each video series. There's a whole video series on how to manage your money well from a godly perspective. If you're within a decade of retirement, you should probably read the book that was recommended to me some months ago by that couple over there that says, How the Happiest Retirees Live. Is that the name? Is that the name of the book? How the Happiest Retirees Live? What the Happiest Retirees Know. There's a huge study on what retirees know in handling money, and there's 10 habits. And I love the book because it's a secular book, but one of the chapters is go to church every week. The happiest retirees attend church at least once a week. As soon as I read that, I was like, I love this book. You know what I mean? Number three, managing money wisely from a godly perspective, develop a generosity mindset. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. Remember this, the Apostle Paul says, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. You should never ever feel pressured to give. It's a decision between you and God. You don't have to give. You get to give. The Apostle Paul is using this farmer metaphor. And the farmer plants some seed. And if you plant a little bit of seed, you get a little bit of harvest. If you plant a lot of seed, you're gonna get a lot of harvest and that's our mindset when it comes to a generosity lifestyle if you want to give a little that's up to you but you get a little back and I'm not just talking about money I'm talking about bigger things in life that money can't buy if you decide that you're gonna have a generosity mindset and give not just financially but Your life is a generosity mindset. Your time, your abilities, your talents, your giftedness, and yes, your financial resources, all that is you. If you will have a generosity mindset, you know what the Apostle Paul says? God's always gonna pour back into you way more than what you gave out. You've heard me say this before if you've been around our church for a long time. God's got a bigger shovel He just does. You've got a pile of resources. You've got this shovel. Some people have a bigger shovel than other people. I don't know why. It's just how God has worked it out. You know, the one, the two, and the five talent people. Some people have one amount of money. Some people have two amount of money. Some people have five amount of money. I mean, I don't know how that works out, but in for whatever way, some of you have considerable resources. Some of you have very little resources, but here's the point. If you have a generosity mindset, you're taking your resources, which aren't really your resources to begin with, you're taking those resources and you just have a generosity mindset and you're handing them out. Remember the widow's mites? It doesn't matter the amount. It matters the attitude of the heart. And when you keep giving out in this generosity mindset, God the Holy Spirit's behind you and he's got a bigger shovel. and he goes, that pile is getting a little bit low. Boom, And he drops more in you. The big question is, can God trust you with more? Some of you want more but realistically, asking yourself the question, can God trust you with more? Are you going to be the Luke 12, I'm just going to build bigger barns? Are you going to be a river? Are you going to be a reservoir? It, that's only, only you can decide that. But what the Apostle Paul is saying, and what Jesus said, is the sowing-reaping principle. Jesus had a generosity mindset. Listen to John ten seventeen. For this reason... The Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. That is a generosity mindset. Jesus didn't have to go to the cross. Jesus got to go to the cross. You understand what I'm saying? For God so loved the world. The writer of Hebrews says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. What's the joy? You. You're the joy. Jesus is hanging there on the cross and he's thinking of you and he's thinking of me. And he's saying, I'm going to endure this awful, tortuous death because I love you. And as disciples of Jesus, here's what I think. I think we ought to take on that same generosity mindset, whatever that looks like for you. Remember, no compulsion in giving, just a regular general sense of generosity giving. And Jesus makes you the promise, you'll always have more than enough. Okay, let's just bring this down. Let me ask you a couple questions. One, honestly, in your own heart, are you a river or a reservoir? Only you can answer that. Two, can you manage your emotions? Do you know the difference between needs and wants? Have you disciplined yourself enough that you don't impulse buy? That if you're married, you do talk to your spouse and say, "I really want this. What do you think?" Do you operate on fear and anxiety when it comes to money and possessions? Or have you come to the place Hebrews 13:5 I know that God will never leave me nor forsake me. I'm going to do what I can do. I'm going to do the best that I can do, and I'm going to trust the rest and put it in the Lord's hands. Here's what I've discovered in the church. Maybe you're different, and that's fine, but here's what I've discovered. Money is the number one issue that people struggle with more than anything else. When we talk about putting God first, F-I-R-S-T, People people are happy to put God first in their troubles. People struggle to put God first in their schedules, but they know it's true. In their relationships, it's a struggle, but lots of people have learned to put God first in their relationships, in their hobbies, their interests. But oh man, when it comes to finances, that's always the last to come. Always. It's because money isn't neutral. It's a rival God. And you're just going to have to, like me, you're just going to have to renounce that rival God. And you're going to have to continually do that because this rival God constantly tries to find ways into your life. And you're going to have to push out and say, no, 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 God's first. And you're going to have to do that over and over and over again. Would you stand, please? Aspire heads. What decision do you need to make today about money? Do you need an attitude adjustment when it comes to how you handle money? Are you handling it in a healthy way or in an unhealthy way? Is it a rival God to you? Did you check out at the beginning of the message as soon as you heard it was going to be about money? Did you start making your grocery list or start thinking about what you're doing this afternoon? That's okay. You just have to ask yourself, why? Why why did you do that? What does that say? Holy Spirit, as we close out this service, move among us. You are so gentle. You are so kind. Would you speak to us about something as practical and spiritual as the way we manage money and our attitude toward it. In Jesus' name, amen.